Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. They were O'Driscoll, Horgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy, O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out of Fitzgerald again, step and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's Rugby Podcast. I'm Will Slattery. This week I'm not joined in studio as always by Luke Fitzgerald. He's actually on a business trip, believe it or not, in Southeast Asia, I believe, or maybe just Asia in general. We'll leave it at that. But I have a great lineup for you nonetheless. I'm joined in studio by Des Berry of The Herald, Rory O'Connor of The Irish Independent. And in just a moment, we'll be talking to Tony Ward on the phone as well. Rory, I guess... Autumn International is just around the corner. This time last year, we were entering into possibly the most mouth-watering schedule possible with two fixtures against the All Blacks and Australia on the cards. This year, I guess it's more intriguing than exciting. You know, we've South Africa first and Fiji and Argentina. What are you maybe excited about or expecting to see over the next couple of weeks? I'm looking forward to seeing how Joe Smith uh, approaches his selection over the course of the three weeks. I think the um, these games represent a chance to introduce some of the players who maybe made a mark over in Japan and the USA last summer to take a look at things like, say, Joey Carberry playing brilliantly at fullback for Leinster. Can he do it at an international level? Can we maybe find a role in the number 22 jersey a la Bowden Barrett for the All Blacks in 2015? Um, I think there's, because the stakes are probably a little bit lower um, because it's, it's not two games against the All Blacks, Ireland have played South Africa three times in this World cycle, World Cup cycle already and have nothing to fear. Um, Argentina are on the slide and Fiji are actually on the other way. And Fiji are actually playing you know, in, in quite good form over the course of the year. So there are three winnable games. I think we're looking for three victories, but I think also we're looking for Joe Schmidt to introduce, introduce a bit of fresh blood um, with an eye on the 2019 World Cup because I think this is the moment in the cycle where you kind of pivot forward, where, where post-lines, I think this is the time where we need to start seeing uh, the bones of what the team is going to look like in 2019. And we have the kind of um, core of players there that, that, have, that have been there for a couple of years. Who, who are the next kind of players who are going to you know, infuse a bit of youth into that? So that's, that's kind of the, 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 you know, you want them to win three games and you want them to do it while seeing a couple of new faces uh, shine as well. Yeah, Des, I guess some of the new faces who could be in this weekend, Jacob Stockdale, Bundiaki for his first cap. You know, Joey Carberry, possibly a 15, although he's obviously been around a li- for a little while. 
Joe, it's unlikely to pitch all three of them in, I would have thought, given, I suppose, his MO. Who do you expect maybe to get the nod or who would you like to see in the team? Well, who would I expect to get the nod? Um, I leave that one to Joe, but who would you like to see in the team? I think everybody wants to see Jacob Stockdale play international rugby. I see a slight problem there in the fact that Earlsey and himself were probably two inform wingers, are left wingers. And Joe doesn't like to put people in uncomfortable positions, especially at such a young age. So whether he'll ask Keith to move right or maybe even go with Andy Conway on the right wing. I think he's in great form, Andy Conway. And maybe let Jacob come on later. I don't know. I'd love to see... I want to see Stockdale playing and from the start. The other one is is Joey, but I don't really think it's Joe's style to, to put him on from the start. Rob is probably his... If anybody wants to know... What Joe Schmidt looks for in a rugby player, look at Rob Carney. He he does he ticks all the boss boxes to get you to be an international. Now the X factor element that makes you world class as an attacking threat, that's another question. But uh, Joey has a good bit to go, I think, defensively before he can before he can challenge Rob in that regard. Yeah, I'm delighted to be joined the line by uh, Irish Independent columnist Tony Ward as well. Tony, I guess the Bundyaki uh, question of selection is interesting because this week there's been like prime time debates about whether he should play for Ireland, even though Joe hasn't even decided to pick him. It's just, he's been written into the team already. Do you presume that he will start this weekend? Uh, I think given the circumstances, yeah. And by that, I mean uh, specifically Gary Ringrose obviously being ruled out, um, Jared Payne as well. Um, so I... You know, in, in terms of what the lads are talking about, looking at players, perhaps with a view to to, with, to, to the next World Cup as well, uh, it is a time to experiment to some degree. Although I'm one of the believers in picking teams for the here and now, I think for South Africa, he's got to put out his best 15 available. In relation to the issue of whether players should play for Ireland or not, I saw Conor Murray in the last couple of days has been defending uh, Bundy Aki on that one. I don't think there's a need to defend Aki because the criticism is not of him. It, it's of the system. Uh, and I do have huge problems with it. I mean, they're beginning to address it within World Rugby in terms of making it five years now instead of three. Um, but the fact that it's a contract that a player comes for and then part of the incentive in that is, well, if you want to play for Ireland, and sure, if you're good enough, then that option is there. I don't like that. But it is what it is. So if you're asking me, well, if I was in Joe's shoes, would I select Bundyaki? Given the laws and the way they operate, my answer is unequivocally yes, I would. And I think he will. And I think the opportunity is there. And I think Aki will step up to the mark. I think it could be a great uh, acquisition and asset for Ireland going forward for sure. Is Stuart McCluskey getting lost in the shuffle a bit here, Rory? Like, he's probably played better rugby this season than Bundy Aki. Like, if you're going from Bundy's form, maybe in the Pro 12 winning season, he's a shoo-in. But I've heard a lot of people say, oh, Gary Ringer's out, kind of, we have to start Bundy. But McCluskey, I saw he gave an interview there maybe two weeks ago, and he talked about that one cap he's gotten, and he said, I've watched it back. I don't think I actually played that badly, but seemingly Joe has really taken a lot out of that one game and doesn't like to pick him off the basis of it. Yeah, I, I would imagine there's more to it than just what happened between the White Lions and Twickenham that day, because I would agree, I thought he did quite well. Uh, he was kind of hammered for giving two offloads um, that he kind of, if he didn't give them, he was going to be running to touch. Or, you know, I was, you know, it, it, it was away from home in Twickenham. Maybe he wasn't playing the Joe way. He was probably a little bit too risky in contact, but I thought he did okay. And certainly, I, I wouldn't have blacklisted him from the squad for the subsequent season and a half, which effectively is what happened. This is his first time back, as far as I'm aware. I don't think he went to, to Japan and, and the States during the summer. So, um, 
it's good to see him back because he's played very well for Ulster. I think he's probably suffered in comparison to Robbie Henshaw in that they both play the same position and they're both similar kind of similar stature of players and, and Henshaw I think is a better player um, I think McCluskey probably has a bit of looseness in his defence that, that Schmidt would have seen and, and I think a lot, a lot of what Joe picks on is, is what happens in the training field which we don't necessarily see so um, I think Bundyaki probably brings a, a level of experience to the table that you know he's, he's it's obviously going to be his first cap on Saturday I'm pretty sure he's going to play um, it's going to be his first cap on Saturday he, he but he's 27 he's played he's won Super Rugby he's won the, the Pro, Pro 12 he he's brings, a very loose player too though so like yeah there is looseness but he has he's a physical specimen at the same time Will I mean I know McCluskey. I know McCluskey yeah McCluskey is big and strong but, but Bundy's got that Bigger Islander <laughs> Islander physique you know and he just bounces players in the tackle and against South Africa the raw physicality and the fact that he has an understanding with Robbie Henshaw that can't be understated either. You know, I, I know Henshaw partnered McCluskey and Twickenham, but you're talking about two years together in the trenches and, and some of the performances they put in when they played together were sensational. I'm thinking at the time Connacht won in Thoman Park for the first time, they were brilliant together that day. And I guess that's what Joe's trying to rekindle. Um, I think if Gary Ringrose is around, it might be a very different scenario, but I saw on Instagram he's on his holidays in, in Paris, so uh, it's uh, the door is open for Bundyaki, and I think, yeah, putting the politics aside, he's going to be he's gonna make for a very good Irish international. Yeah, there was a summer tour, obviously, in Japan and America where a lot of young players were blooded, but this is the first kind of meaningful game Ireland have played since all the way back in March, you know, a long time ago now. Uh, what areas do you think Joe will be looking to maybe improve on, you know, or, or show improvement from the Six Nations to now? Well, just before that, the thing with McCluskey and Aki, as far as I can make out, there's a huge difference in communication, a massive difference. Like Stuart struggles or has struggled with communication and Joe places a huge emphasis on that. Bundy, as you can see from his dance moves and his uh, the pictures on TV and at games, is not quiet and he is. you're in no doubt about what he wants and where he wants it. So uh, I think that's a huge thing along with maybe decision-making. Um, what Joe will want to see, Joe will want to see them do the same things they always do, just do them better. He, he's, he's a great man for just wanting to perfect the basics, and I don't expect any different this time. I, I see he is, very, the difference here is, that, as he, he mentioned himself last week uh, uh, at, a pre, at the, uh, the Rugby Writers Awards, that he thought, look at the training, Robbie Henshaw looks small in the centre when they're training. You can see from the four men that are there. So if anything, it might allow, might allow him to go even more direct uh, with whoever he's going to pick, hopefully Aki and Henshaw. I mean, it might allow him to go even more direct than what he does do normally. So um, I don't see much difference, really. You, you've you've got a, you've got a direct a carrying eight in CJ. You know, he's, he's not going to be passing the ball. He's not going to be offloading that much you've got Shawnee and then Peter who's a who's a dog in the trenches and a great lineup operator so I don't know if he's really got that many options to change the game plan Tony would Ireland kind of be missing a trick though if they select Henshaw and Aki a lot of teams are opting for two playmakers at maybe 10 or 12 or even if 10 and 15 if we pick Joey Carberry we maybe be relying a bit too much on brute force in the centre uh, yes and no I, I don't fully agree with that but I'll tell you why if you turn the clock back, and I think this is one of the real pluses about having the two of them in together, is the experience they've had together for Connacht. And if you look in that time when they were playing together, they like generally when they, when they were both picked, it was Robbie wearing 13 and Bundy wearing 12. And then if Robbie was out, you'd have uh, Bundy playing 13 and 
I don't know, Peter Robb or uh, Craig Ronaldson or somebody like that would, would come into the 12 shirt. And I like that. I'm old school here, very much so. I hate hearing of uh, players being uh, pigeonholed into being a first centre or a second centre. I like the fact that they can mix and interchange. And if you think about it, it it's logical because with defences nowadays, when you're playing against a player you know inside out immediately opposite, and then suddenly they're changed around, where one goes at second centre, the other goes at the inside centre, whatever you want to call it, it asks more questions uh, of the opposition defensively. So I'm, I'm not overly concerned about the direct. I, I think there is potential there um, to open up defences. Of the two, and not just because he's the bigger player, I think Robbie is the more direct, even though he's likely to be playing outside on Saturday. I do think, uh, on the assumption they're selected, I do think that Bundiaki uh, has the ability to sidestep, to change direction, to change the point of attack. So I, I am very excited at the prospect of seeing these two together. And th there was one point, if I could just pick up on what Des said earlier on, uh, as the only one I, I disagree with him on, when he was talking about uh, the wings, uh, because obviously it's relevant to them, what goes on just inside them. But to me, uh, Keith Earls, who's playing out of his skin for the last 12 months, the best rugby of his career, to me he's a natural right winger, not left winger. But you see, a lot of his games have been wearing the number 11 shirt, but he's a right-footed player. Uh, I watched him come up through the system, uh, as Des did in covering underage rugby um, in Limerick, uh, as a centre but he's natural on the right-hand side, so I think he'd be more comfortable there. And Stockdale is unquestionably a, a, a natural left-winger. So I do see, if he goes for those four players, a semblance of balance there, but also uh, a little bit of the unknown as well. And that excites. Well, I think the um, you know t Tony's right in terms of the creative abilities of Hedshaw and, and Aki, and I think you have to remember the quality that Johnny Sexton offers in terms of attack as well. The ability Ireland have to vary their game because they've such a, a creative force at ten. You know, I don't think Ireland will will necessarily just tighten up because of those two centres because I think they have the ability to mix it up with with Johnny going around as a sec, you know, almost as a second playmaker himself on a, on his trademark loop plays. You know, they've had two weeks together, which is quite you know quite a good build in for for this for this game. I think they'll they'll have quite a. I'd say I'd imagine they'll have quite a couple of wrinkles in their play in order to try and unlock the South African fence. I think there's inexperience in the back three, so I think we will see some wide play from, from Ireland this weekend. Not necessarily with the the, the centres providing the, the the passes; they may provide the decoy plays. And we've seen a lot more of kind of Devon Toner passing the ball in in recent times. Ian Henderson's a skillful player, so I think there is a scope for us to play a bit Car wider. Carberry could be that second receiver that we need while maintaining that kind of two big guys in the centre yeah I do, uh, you're right but, but I don't see great. it I don't yeah. see it I think he'll be playing I think Joey will be on the bench and I mean he spoke to myself myself and Des were both down in Carton yesterday we spoke to Joey Carberry and he, he, uh, he's got big ambitions he's talking about how he wants to be one of the best players in the world and it's great to hear a player openly talk about how ambitious he is does he see himself as a 10 long term yeah he does he does but I think he's, for he's me watched, I think he's a 15 true and true he, he reckons he's, he, he prefers 10 but he, he's seen Bowden Barrett and the way Bowden Barrett played his way kind of off the bench into the you know once Dan Carter stepped aside I think he maybe is looking at it the same way that he can come on and affect games from 10 or 15 and eventually succeed Johnny Sexton so I think he will play a role in on Saturday and, and we may see him at 15 before the series is out but I think against the box his kicking game is very strong 
in potentially difficult November conditions, you know, like the, the sensible call is to go with Rob Kearney, especially when uh, Simon Zebo has been effectively ruled out. Yeah, Des, it might be a bit foolish to spend so much time talking about back play when we're going up against South Africa because they're obviously their pack is absolutely, yeah, you know, top class. You know, even Etzebed, Peter Steph Dutois, Sia Khaleesi's come in as one of the new guys and has played really, really well. Malcolm Marks too. That's the area where I suppose they will see their best chance of winning, surely. Yeah, and uh, just looking at their squad, uh, Kitsoff, and uh, it'd be very hard for me, Kutsia, to go away from the team that pushed New Zealand to a point, you'd imagine, but they didn't have uh, Kone Ustazen or the Beast, Tenda Matarera. So uh, whether he'd be tempted to go back to those, he may well do. As he, uh, so either way, they've got a monster pack. Funnily enough, They've never been a great scrummaging team for all their for all their size and weight. I think mainly because they rely on their size and their weight. They're they're not technicians. Although Kitsoff might be a bit different that way. So it remains to be seen. Ireland have a really strong scrum. Uh, whether they'll come under pressure in the in the in the mall. I mean, I'm just going off the team they had against New Zealand. I mean, if Peter Steph de Trois is in the back row and playing seven, that's a hefty pack. <laughs> Doesn't matter who else is in the pack. If he's playing seven. That's a hefty pack, and if they get going with them all, depending on weather conditions, um, they're going to be all sorts of trouble for for Ireland up front. Yeah, Tony, what what do you think Ireland's best chance of victory is? Is, is it probably is it to take them on in the pack, but where they seem fairly well stocked, or is it trying to maybe exploit, you know, their back three who didn't deal well in the high ball in the rugby championship, and their back line certainly is missing a lot of top class stars who are playing in uh, the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, it's if you were to ask me about the. The losers in world rugby since the game went professional. For me, it's uh, South Africa and France. Uh, and by that, what I mean is um, back in the day when uh, I played against South Africa, um, the physicality and brutishness was uh, everything we talk about the modern professional game, how big guys are now and uh, how committed they are to um, the contact area and tackling and all that sort of stuff. Back in the amateur days, that's the way South Africa played because they're physically so big. And I think they've lost that. And I think part of it is what you say, that with a lot of players now playing abroad, players who haven't been selected. But I thought there was a hint of that um, watching the championship this year. I mean, the results weren't bad. Take the New Zealand game uh, in New Zealand uh, out of the equation, where obviously they were thumped by, was it 57 or 59 points, whatever it was. Um, but then you look at the game in South Africa when there was only one point in it. And I thought that game really turned the clock back because it was like South Africa of old. The physicality was there. They were getting involved. They were committing themselves totally to the tackle. And that's the way, that's when South Africa are at the best. I expect Kutsi to have them playing that way on Saturday. And obviously Ireland are going to have to front up to that. I guess it's an easy answer to give you when I say Ireland have got to look for balance. Uh, yes, we've got to take them on up front. Obviously, we've got to win primary possession. That goes without saying. And our line-out hasn't been going that well of late. Uh, I think Peter O'Mahony has a key role to play there. Um, but if we can get ball, I think then you've got clearly Conor Murray to play the box-kicking game to a limited extent, not to flog the thing to death. And also to attack through the centre. As you said, it may not be the killer pass, but both players are capable of offloading, of creating opportunities and space for others. So, I, I'm again, I'm excited by the potential that's there for Saturday. I think it's an intriguing game. And not just in the context of the next World Cup, where we're likely all things going well, to meet South Africa in the quarterfinal if things go 
the way they think they will. Uh, so psychologically, it's a big game in that respect. But also for South Africa at the end of what's been a, another difficult season, to put it mildly. But it looks like there's light at the end of the tunnel. They have really targeted this game as the definition of their season. So they're coming with all guns blazing on Saturday. I wish it wasn't the way it is. I wish it was the other way around, that we were playing ideally Fiji first, then Argentina, then South Africa. It's not working like that. It's a huge game in every respect on Saturday. And I have to say, a very difficult one to call. Yeah, Rory, does that make it slightly more difficult that it is the first, the toughest game up first? Like there's not maybe any betting in period or any... Though they did beat the All Blacks first up last year, I guess. But is there any kind of more difficult way there? It makes it more difficult for us to predict. I think um, whether it makes it more difficult for for the, the teams, it's it's really hard to know. There's um, there's definitely the the case that the box are you know the, by by game four of their summer tour, they'll be um, they'll be you know they'll be coming to the real at the end of their season. But they still have had a couple of weeks off. They could be, you know, reasonably fresh coming into this game. Um, Ireland also have had two weeks together, and when Joe has time with his team, it, it usually results in a, in a pretty good performance. So, you know, Ireland have never really struggled with hitting the ground running under Joe Schmidt. I know Scotland didn't go to plan at the Six Nations last year, but that wasn't really an intensity issue. I don't think that was. I'm not sure what that was, but I think definitely the. Um, I wouldn't read too much into that. I think that the box will be fresh enough. They're not quite at the end yet. Um, have a bit of uh, actually, Cozy has been praising their fitness this week, and I think Ireland will be fine. And it's it's rare enough. I think there might be one or two injuries that we're not quite fully publicly aware of yet. That we're that, that are usually is. in the next. Yeah, that they're, they're they've kept the lid on them, but I think there might be one or two selection surprises coming. Um, but even still, it's a strong panel that he's picking from, stronger than it normally is. So I wouldn't have too many concerns. Des, would you expect a similar game plan to the one Ireland used? I think it was 2014 autumn when the Springboks came up, and they were actually quite heavily favoured after. I think they beat the All Blacks earlier that summer, um, and then there was a lot of Conor Murray box kicks. You know, one particular one exploited a wing. Tommy Bow went over for a, a nice try in the corner. It would be something similar you're expecting. I think it's really weather dependent. Number one, number two. I mean, if it's wet, the back, the South African, the Springbok back three are going to see a lot of bo- high ball. What I would say about that is that um, Joe does operate in a certain framework, and within that, there are plays designed obviously to expose the weaker players in the opposition. So I mean, he will know an awful lot about their back, uh, their backline, and where to go. The thing I always think when I look at South Africa, though, is when I look at their second rows, it just struck me. Jean Klein took a look around in South Africa and said, I think I'll hit the plane. I mean, he's a monster in this part of the world. I mean, everybody just thinks he's an amazing player. I wonder what sort of an uproar it'll be when he qualifies to play for Ireland. But, um, I mean, he lo- he took a good look around. He went, yeah, I think um, uh, I think my life would be better somewhere else. I don't blame him when you see the competition. No. Do you know the other thing, Will, about Ireland, whatever about how they're going to play, the, I've also been quite excited about is um, who is Joe going to pick at number one that I think is his biggest decision for for the tour because there was it it was once Keane Healy it was then Jack McGrath now Healy's back and he's playing well and Dave Kilcoyne the dark horse is in the form of his life and in fairness Jack is playing well but he's not he's not as dominant as he was a year ago and uh, I, 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 I don't know if this is correct but 
I believe it's because he's carrying so much of a load for such a long time. It's got to be wearing on him. But I mean, he's still playing good rugby. That, that's the most exciting selection other than the new guys. That's the one I'm really looking to see is Keen Healy, because this is the game. If Keen Healy is selected at number one uh, tomorrow, that's a sign that he's back and he's he's the number one again. Yeah, Tony, he's probably had his best season in a couple of years. It would be a good reward for him to get the nod in such a big game from Joe. Who was, I don't think he's, he's picked him in a, in a really big game for quite a while. Yeah, I see where you're coming from, but I wouldn't. Isn't that um, strange? That's no reflection on the way Healy has played this year. It's great to see him back in top form. Uh, but I think the way you pick a squad now, uh, and I suspect it will be Healy that Joe picks. Let me qualify by saying that. Personally, I would pick McGrath, and I'll tell you why. Um, I think you're talking about a 23-man squad. I think you're looking at impact off the bench. And to me, McGrath doesn't give you that when he comes on after 60 minutes. Healy does. He's a ball carrier. Uh, so for me, I, I would pick in that context uh, where you're the likes of, I don't know, Tracy, I would imagine would be the replacement hooker with Scannell injured and probably John Ryan. So when the, those three come on after the hour, you're just looking for, uh, yeah, yes, to continue the same, but you're looking for impact. And I think Healy is one of those players who gives you that type of impact. Uh, and I would like to think further down the line with possibly Ulton Delan and I don't know if he's fit. Uh, and I'm always accused of bias in relation to Jack Conan, but I think Conan would give you that off the bench as well. Tony, I think I think you're completely right about impact, but I think if Joe was picking for impact, Sean Cronin would have been in the squad for for this window, and, and I was really surprised personally that he, that he wasn't. And I think if you look at the, the way the fixtures came out for Japan, and, and I know you're saying pick everything for the for the game at hand, but. I think Ireland's first three games are in about 13 days. So they're probably going to have to rotate. So I think Joe's going to, during the 2015 World Cup, when things got, which was, Ireland had pretty good gaps, he started rotating, I think it was Henderson and Healy would be in one week, and then Ryan and McGrath would be in the next. And he basically changed them for each game. I think the plan was probably going to be the same for the semi-final and the final had things gone not awry against against Argentina. So I wonder, whatever about Six Nations, I think he'll always pick his best team for the Six Nations. And I think, to be honest, you're picking your best team, you could toss a coin between the two players in question, anyway, McGrath and Healy. But I do think do wonder whether in these windows, you know, the summer tour in Australia as well, he'll look at just basically how these rotational combinations will work, how if he picks, you know half a pack one week half back the next just to kind of keep things fresh so that when it comes to those four or five days when it's Japan and Scotland which is basically going to define Ireland's World Cup of 2019 Ireland are going to be ready for that the other, thing, the other thing I'd say Will is that even though they mightn't probably feature this week the fact that he's shown so much trust in Porter and Ryan Andrew and James Ryan <clears throat> Obviously speaks to he, he like he knows everything about Irish rugby in detail. I mean, they're not today's men, but they could be very soon men. Like they could. They, I'm not saying Six Nations, but it's just interesting at tight head with Porter that he's only been there for a matter of months rather than years. And if if you are looking at him, he he's already getting in a good position for for those scrums. You know, he's he's he, he's a lot to learn. But these are two big investments for the future and they're going to come true very quickly. I mean, uh, probably not to take over from Ty Andrew, but, you know, John Ryan is going to have a battle on his hands and Dev is going to have a battle on his hands with James uh, and Alton is also going to have a battle because they're going to come true sooner or later because they played so little and still he has them there. He's no other two players that are there with... I mean, Stockdale is proving it every week. They have improved it every week, but he, he knows what he sees. Well, move on to the young guns in just a second, but I just wanted to ask you, while you mentioned Sean Cronin there, why do you think he was omitted from the squad completely? Like, not, well, 
it was a surprise for many. Yeah, we asked the question yesterday down in, uh, of, of Simon Easterby, and he said it was form that um, he's probably a victim of the fact that he's been swapping positions with James Tracy over the course of the season. Uh, look, it wasn't a very convincing Rob answer. Herring. Like, yeah, well, no. Rob Herring has, a very, like, he has a lot of minutes under the belt because... Rory Best was out injured and I, I have a feeling Rob Herring could even be on the bench um, on Saturday but the yeah look I'm surprised I think Sean Cronin off the bench 20 minutes to go is unlike almost any hooker that's out there he's he's perfect for you know I mean Tony talked about impact he's, he's a hooker who's he's almost faster than most of the backs in the, in, in the Leinster and Ireland squad so and his basics are pretty good uh, there's been a problem with, at the lineouts for all three or all four provinces this year no, no one's going that well Tom McCartney was left out as well. He qualifies to play for Ireland now as well, which I was a bit surprised by. But um, yeah, look, I wasn't convinced by the answer I got yesterday when I asked the question. I don't know about you, but I think, Sean, he looks a lot bulkier this year. Now, I'm not saying he just looks a lot bulkier, whether that's for scrummaging or, or stuff. I'm sure he, he might be able to fill us in on that when we see him next. But what struck me as well is that you've got Best and Herring, who is playing really well, Tracy, Niall Scannell, who's out, so now Sean Crone goes from second choice to fifth choice hooker. And we don't even know if he's fifth choice because McCartney's there. I just find that a huge drop off. And whether that's bad form is enough to drop him four places in the charts. I don't know. I think. Yeah, yeah, isn't even that bad. Yeah, Tony, what did, what, did yeah. You, what did you make of the omission? Oh, I, I don't get it. I mean, if you're asking me the best ball carrying hooker by a proverbial mile, it's Sean Cronin. Uh, I, I think... Des's point there is fair. I, I do think he's put on a little bit of poundage. Now, I don't know whether it's the arrival of the twin babies and a change in lifestyle. Um, but I meant, I meant it just looks time. a little bit that way to me. <laughs> that said, he is still an incredibly mobile and effective ball carrier. And to bear out Rory's point there about we're talking about impact, that's what brought this up. Uh, I, I just kind of like to bring Cronin on again mid-match uh, with Healy. And I'm not taking any way, anything away from Tracy at all. Uh, and Porter is only developing. Bear in mind that Andrew has just switched from loose head to tight head. So he's learning the ropes at the moment and making great progress. Um, but definitely Cronin for me, in terms of ball-carrying ability, is way, way ahead of all the, hooker, the other hookers, Rory Best included. The one issue with them all, and I know it's a terrible easy one to toss out, is in terms, as they call it now in the modern game, darts, but the throwing in. And we really don't have an outstanding thrower as such. I think probably the best of them all is Niall Scannell, but he's injured at the moment. Uh, so that is an issue, without doubt. But for me, Cronin should, at, in the very least, be in the 23. The only thing is, you know, it's not an Irish pack that lacks carrying. I mean, I'm not, I, 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 I find it difficult to understand although there's obviously a reason I don't think we really know the real reason I don't think you drop him f four places on the charts for, for a little bit of inconsistency in his throwing but if you look at the pack they're probably going to put out they've got Henderson who is an unbelievable close carrier if Healy plays dynamite Furlong's got the footwork and the uh, and a bit of an edge now and then you've got Shawnee and CJ plenty of carriers mm. don't lack carriers in the squad I don't need them against South Africa. Yeah. But Rory, as I was looking past the South Africa game just to the remainder of the uh, Autumn Series, what would you like to see from the from the Fiji game and the Argentina game, maybe in terms of players given more game time or maybe elements of the game plan you know, improved or tried out? What, what, what would you hope to see? Yeah, I think they're three different opponents. They're all pretty physical. It's going to be a bruising uh, couple of weeks, but they all play the game a different way. 
Um, Argentina are a fading force. Uh, Fiji are now above them in the the world rankings. I'm not sure if people have picked up on that, but um, and they've won. Uh, I think it was four out of. They played five games this year. They've won four of them, only losing to Australia in a game that they pushed them pretty close. So it's not as if you're like Canada last year. You're able to drop the entire team and rest them for for Argentina. They could I think win. <laughs> well, look, they're yeah. You'd, 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 I would expect Ireland to win certainly. The, the two after this one this I, I'd expect them to win all three but I, I, I think this is the most difficult one this week what would I say you know I would like to see over the course of it you know Joe do a bit of experimentation with, with his team you know try Joey Carby at 15 try you know and, and with that have have a, a second receiver option so you have Johnny Sexton standing at the left and Joey spots something right that he comes into the line nothing to stop Rob Kearney doing it but he hasn't shown that in his career to date Simon Zebo's done it but obviously Simon Zebo is now uh, no longer considered for Irish selection despite what Joe's saying so um, I think we want to see three wins we want to see three good performances and um, we want to see Ireland um do their, do their basics right, but also introduce a bit of uh, you know good attacking play as well. We don't like you, you don't want them kicking South Africa to death and winning twelve uh, nine on on Saturday. You'd like to see a little bit more of, of the expansive stuff. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to see it, but you know, look, there's there's a game plan there, and it can be it can be adapted for all you know for all seasons. I mean, Joe's it it'd be a misnomer to say that Ireland play one way. We Ireland play to suit the the the, the conditions and the opposition. Um. There's no smarter coach than Joe for that. So I think I'd look. I'm looking forward to seeing what Bundyak he can do to the attack. I think he will be given a license to offload, like no other Irish player. Do because you think? yeah, yeah, because yeah. Well, what he's got the physical capacity to win the collision. I think the the rule is not don't offload. It's if you win the collision, you can offload. And I think he'll be he'll be allowed, not willy nilly, but I think he will. We'll see him free his hands. Um, a lot more than than we've seen from other players. McCluskey, well, no, McCluskey, like he can win the collision. So I don't, I don't understand. Bundyaki is a better player than McCluskey will. Okay, one hundred percent. I know McCluskey's a good player, but I, I like Bundy is is fully formed, ready to go. I'm really excited to see what he'll do to Ireland's attack. And Ireland's attack is based on collisions. Bundy wins collisions. It's going to be really interesting to see how well he gets on at international level. He's picked for you know they always say don't they you, you, you just keep doing what what you're picked for and. I mean, when I meant direct, I didn't mean Ireland would move the ball. They're going to take it up the middle every now, and he gets the hands away. He's got the softest hands, and so does Stewart. But it comes back to other things with Stewart, maybe you know, a little bit of communication, decision making. But uh, everybody's excited. I mean, there's a lot of controversy and flack being thrown at Bundy. But I was a friend of mine was saying the other day, Waitley makes that first hit. The crowd, he'll get the crowd going like no other Irish Irish player will. Mm. I mean, that's just the way he plays the game. He does it. He can't. He will do it for Ireland too. Yeah, Tony. I, just before we let you go, I was wondering: is there any kind of combinations you'd like to see, or any kind of the younger players you'd like to see become more prominent over the course of the series? Uh, no, but like everybody, I, I'm really well. Look, two things: in the last two games, uh, Joe used 27 different players, uh, as in against England in the Six Nations and against Japan. Obviously, the Irish lines weren't available for that, and now you had Aki in. Uh, that's 28. So I'd imagine that we're going to see. I, I would think 30 players playing in uh, the next three tests. And that's what we're going to try and do. And it's getting that balance where you're looking for the collective performance in terms of the win. And unlike Rory, I'd take 12 9 on Saturday because I think <laughs> it's going to be that type of game. Uh, so I think I'd a win it, is paramount <laughs> yeah, in the opener. Uh, and then obviously, when Fiji come along, he's going to have a much changed side, as tends to be the norm in the middle fixture in this uh, autumn series every year. 
And then the last one against Argentina, uh, which can often be a slugfest from times past, but you would think that that will be the team closest to what he's trying to put together for the Six Nations based on what he sees on Saturday and obviously against Fiji. Uh, in terms of combinations, not really. Obviously, I look forward to see how Henshaw uh, and Aki go. But I, 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 I'm, I, I'm really excited by Joey Carberry. But if you're to ask me, Will, his position, I don't know. I, straight up, I don't know. Again, I watched him in school. He was an out-half. Then when he went to Black Rock, he played full-back. Um, and he's such a beautiful runner, lovely balance, light on his feet. He has that dexterity in every way. Um, and I, I don't want to use the word X factor, but he can take on and beat players. And he does it naturally. It's, it's innate. Is he better at out half or full back? More room at full back, obviously. Um, and yet I see so much talent. Like when Graham Henry looked at him as a 10 and immediately he said, there's Ireland's uh, out half for the next 10 years. Now, it's not quite working out that way because we don't know which he is. So if you're to ask me one player rather than a combination that I'd love to know in three weeks' time what is his best position going forward, it's Carberry. Because for me, potentially, he could be very special. Thanks so much for joining us, Tony. I really appreciate it. Pleasure, Will. Cheers, Tony. Do you know? Do you know what will what I, what I'd love to see during the three games is um, the one thing I would like to see. Can Joe have an effect on Adam Byrne if he gets a chance? Maybe against Fiji, whenever he gets a chance, he is a physical specimen. He is a great attacking player in many ways, good in the air. He just has a hesitancy in in his defence. He's a very intelligent uh, young man. I know that much about him. He's just thinking too much about the game at the moment. He, he, he doesn't play on instinct, I don't think. So I, I'd love to see him getting a chance and I'd love to see what Joe can do with him in that regard by getting inside his head, which is something Joe has always been able to do. Well, there's a lot of stuff to look forward to, as you mentioned, from an Irish perspective. But just looking, Rory, I guess, to the wider rugby landscape this autumn, the most annoying thing for me anyway is that you know the All Blacks are coming with a small bit of uncertainty by their standards, I guess. You know, they've lost two tests for the first time, I think, since 2007 in the same season, or 2011, rather. Uh, they're not playing England again, which is something that is annoying a lot of people. Uh, why do you think that maybe they haven't been paired together again this autumn? Is there any specific reason, do you think? Cash money. Um, yeah, I don't think a deal could be done on on getting them. The All Blacks co cost quite a lot of money because they are the biggest draw in World Rugby. So, um, they there's no... Um, there's there's no way they they could have got it. Well, sorry, there's obviously a way they could have got it done. There was a lot of talk that they might you know replace the Babas and not win though last weekend. But again, the contracts were signed and England just couldn't get it over the line. So uh, it's going to happen next year. Apparently, it's going to be the most hyped game of all time because you've Eddie Jones sniping away at the All Blacks and and Steve Hansen's you know well able to get involved as well. I don't think they want to play England right now. I think. Um, there has been a absolute 100% been a shift since the 2015 World Cup when there was that definitive north-south divide. Um, I think the best three teams in the world are currently New Zealand, England and Ireland. Um, and I don't think the gap is that big between them. I think New Zealand have the more X-factor players. Um, but because they've lost so much experience since the last World Cup, they've become vulnerable Um and those players need to get experience under their belts. And this tour is all about getting confidence and experience into these players who've kind of been fed on a diet of winning pretty handy Super or sorry Super Rugby and uh, Rugby Championship games against you know teams that are no longer the forces of old. Well, so this won't toughen them up this schedule. I think they're playing Scotland, France, and Wales. Scotland and Wales won't give it to them easy, but yeah, you'd expect them to, to go in a Grand Slam and and, and be happy out. 
but you know I I, I think Wales in the, in the final one Wales are going to be missing a couple of bodies I think their overseas players probably aren't available um, you know I, I, I think that, that France or sorry you know France are it's probably not a bad time for France to catch them because France are usually at their best in November because the top 14 hasn't quite taken the, the legs out from under them but they're still missing a couple of bodies um, and Scotland are like New Zealand light they, they, they play a similar way it's Townsend's first couple of games um, with its full squad available so yeah I wouldn't be expecting New Zealand to fall but I'd like to see how, how invincible they look you know I, I want to see if someone can, can give it a real rattle and Wales are probably the best you know the, the Welsh Lions will be pretty emboldened by the way they played last last summer there was a lot of them were very pivotal in the way that you know the Lions ran New Zealand so close and they're going with a 10-12 axis now apparently on Williams and Don Bigger yeah, I yeah, I don't know. If you've owned Farrell, that's that's all well and good. Like you know, you need Owen Farrell. His you name's on at least. Is halfway yeah, there. yeah. You mentioned it earlier on. Like you know, I saw Shane Horgan calling for Joey Carberry to go twelve against South Africa. That's madness. That's a weird you know? one. That's yeah. Yeah, like I can see from attacking point of view what he could do, but he's not. He's he can't play twelve. He's too. He's not big enough. He get absolutely killed, murdered by a Springbok. You got to have the player who who can do it. Like you couldn't put George Ford to twelve for England. It has to be Farrell because Farrell is. Built like a rugby league, set, you know, or, 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 he's, he's the son of a rugby league legend. He's he's a hard hitting, uh, big carrier. You know, he, he can do both sides of the job. He's 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 kind of unique, and you need to have that. I mean, these players are not a second distributor. Has to be someone who can also mix it in the channels. Yeah, I don't know Matt Gitto, Curtly Beal. I don't know they played loads of twelve. But the game is changing very fast. Well, yeah. Matt Kittle's not a big man. He's, he's, he's a wide, yeah, he's, he's well able to pack a punch the, in the tackle. The, the thing about, when you see Joey, actually did a bit in the Herald today and I suggested his third position is inside centre. But anyway, <laughs> I've been cuffed around the ear. Thanks for that, Rory. <laughs> but, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, the thing about Joey is when you look at him, he's he's very New Zealand in his build in that he's actually quite tall. He's surprisingly tall when you see yeah. him and he's got a lovely physique. He actually looks as if he's never been in the gym. He, it, it, that's the way he strikes you. He looks at But, um, I don't know. I, I actually do think that, anyway, he, he, he's a 15 or 10, but I think a, a 12. I see, like, Eng, England, for instance, they've, they've selected their backs. I mean, it's shocking how they've they've kind of got slight players all along their three-quarter line. There's no big bruiser. The biggest bru the biggest guy they have in their three-quarter selection, other than Noan Farrell, is Rocco Dagooney. But they're Henry Slade, who they're absolutely mad about in England, got Jonathan Joseph, Elliot Daly, Johnny May, I mean, they're all kind of speed speed merchants. Um, so it seems that Joe suddenly, all of a sudden, has got four massive centres and England have a more kind of fluid, fast three-quarter line. I don't know whether both coaches are changing changing their mind about the, where they're going, but um, I, would, I, I expect Alex Lazowski to challenge George Ford too. I don't expect him to be sitting there for fun. So uh, I think George Ford has a battle in his hand, maybe to keep Owen Farrell out of 10, but also to keep Alex Lozowski at, uh, at arm's length. That's interesting. What did you make of the make of the England backline? Yeah, it's 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 exciting. Like, you know, exciting. And in fairness, Jones was never... He obviously had a couple of big backs in his, in his Australia team, but he, he, you know, he's always gone for... Creativity has always been part of what, he, what he's done, so um, it shouldn't probably be that much of a surprise. Um, you know, they, they, they have... They have a monstrous pack, well capable of bullying most teams in in the world, and they have really good passers in their backline. I just think Farrell. You just think back to that try against Wales last season, where they, you know, in the in the in the clutch moment of the game, they were able to execute long 
passes to find space and they were they looked so so good um, obviously they came undone against Ireland in, in the end but he's introduced, he used their summer tour to introduce a lot of young players and those wins over Argentina were really impressive so um, I think Ireland are looking at trying to win their Six Nations title back I think this is the, one of the building blocks that they have when marked down as, as uh, on, on the route to the World Cup in 2019 and um, you know I think England remain the standard bearers in this part of the world and uh, yeah they're 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 moving in a different direction, but you almost wouldn't mind seeing Johnny May there and Patrick stay if if, if oh, there's yeah, a grand absolutely. slam on the line because <laughs> there's a couple of those players who are defensively very suspect. And I think maybe they're picked for Argentina. If they were playing New Zealand this weekend, would it be maybe a little bit of a different approach? Mm. Would it be more the the, the, the nuts and bolts players who get the nod? I I, I, I'm fully convinced the, the money element is one thing, but I mean, Eddie Jones, much like Joe Schmidt, holds the key to England I mean he doesn't want to play New Zealand yet he just doesn't want to because he knows he said it last year we're not ready yet we're not ready yet he's not going to want to play him until he's until he's convinced he's ready and you can see by selection in his back line and some of his forwards he's no more near ready he's in a development stage he's got Tom Curry an under 20 uh, who's is a fantastic player but he's got him in his, one of his four back rows Sam Underhill has just come into the setup. you've got Chris Robshaw back there and Playing they can use it number 8 Chris Robshaw was lining out at eight, but they did their live scrummaging and went on someone Tuesday filming a tree of trees. Yeah, and Robshaw was packing down at eight, which is you know if Chris Robshaw's at eight, then we've all got a chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, do you know it, it, that's a, like they're in development. As strange as it seems, they are in development too. You've got Ellis Genge, who's a Keen Healy type loose head prop. He's a serious operator. If he can control, you know, if he can control his temperament, but uh, they've lots of options. But their pack, if you took away their second row options the pack is not exactly jaw dropping Those the front and back rows are not exactly going to have anybody quaking in their boots they're not ready even for this New Zealand jet not with that team they're not one point I want to raise before we finish up guys is Warren Gatland goes into another autumn series at Wales 30 games he's coached against the Southern Hemisphere big three as well he's coached 2 wins and 28 defeats why, Rory, do you think he's been so unsuccessful against the Southern Hemisphere teams? Because over the same period, like Joe, for instance, has won five matches in a, in a shorter time frame with a similarly talented team, you would have thought, overall. Yeah, it's an anomaly because in that period, he's he's guided the Lions to a win and a draw down there. Um, obviously, a different challenge, a different, you know, a much higher caliber of squad because you're drawing from the Four Nations. But look, but you know, it, it is a bit of a surprise. He's done so much. In, within the Six Nations, I mean, Wales are always one of the, 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 the toughest teams to beat. And a couple of those times, it's come down to the, the, the those clutch moments against Australia in particular. And then when it came to the World Cup, when it came down to the wire against England, it was Wales that were able to win that big game. I don't know the answer, to be honest. But I think, I wonder if the the experience of actually getting a win in Wellington over the line, over New Zealand with the Lions will have just emboldened themselves in a couple of those, those Welsh Lions as well. Um, Australia didn't seem to help much. Winning no, Australia. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, and that was an even more Welsh-based uh, Lions, Lions team. But, um, yeah, he's in his last two years at Wales now. It's pretty, you know, he's signalled that the, the end will come after the next World Cup. And I wouldn't back against him getting a couple of results this month. Yeah, I don't... I actually, after looking at him for so many years and looking at Welsh rugby for so many years, I don't think it's really a mystery. Um, I don't know. To me, it looks like Wales, they never turn up in November. They turn up in the Six Nations. Uh, the Welsh teams, they they just they don't play in the Champions Cup. Well, I know the Scarlets are trying to make a run. They don't turn up for European Cup. Their clubs are not as totally devout about what they do in the in in the league. I mean, I know the Scarlets have run Pro 14, but if you look back to the ten years, I mean, they've made hardly any impact in Europe in the top top games. 
Their whole season is based around Six Nations. In November, they are very poor. And when they travel, they're not much better a lot of the time. So, uh, you know, and the other thing is you can see Warren coming from a mile away, like, you know, especially with depending on who he selects. There are very few surprises to what he does. And uh, if you're not going to surprise teams like Australia and New Zealand, especially, then you're not going to go anywhere against them. All right. Last question. Just a prediction for Ireland in November, maybe one team to watch outside of Ireland. Um, three from three. Um, but I think Fiji are going to bring something to Dublin that maybe, you know, the last time I think we, we saw them, they were pretty poor down at Thomond Park. But I think uh, John McKee is building something there. They're the strongest of the, the Pacific nations at the moment. They've uh, beaten Scotland and uh, Italy this year, they ran Australia coast in Australia. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they can bring. But um, yeah, I, I would expect Ireland to win all three games, with the toughest will be this weekend. If Nadalo isn't taken off standby for that game and brought in the squad, it's an absolute disgrace. <laughs> That's, That's all. Another with her grand. <laughs> That's all add to Rory's prediction. And Des, yourself? Yeah, um, I'm actually am looking forward to seeing Fiji. I know maybe it's because it's work and you, you, the midweek, you'd like a nice, easy midweek. Not from point of view of that they're going to be a walkover, but they're just pure entertainment, aren't they? Nakarawa well, alone. And I'm actually stepping outside of Ireland. I'm looking to see, I'm looking forward to seeing Jack Goodhue from New Zealand if they play him where they, wherever they play him, the centre from Canterbury. I just think he's, uh, he's just great value. I just love looking at him. So, uh, hopefully he'll get a chance a few chances during the during the autumn well I'm going for three from three and I'm actually looking forward to seeing those two English open sides that you mentioned earlier Tom Curry and Sam Underhill they're very young but they've been missing maybe an out and out open side over the last few years one of the yeah. few things they're missing in their team so from my perspective that's what I'm looking forward to seeing Rory, Des thanks so much for joining us and thanks for Tony Ward for joining us earlier as well that's all we have time for on the left wing this week apologies that Luca to step away for his business trip but hopefully we were enough for you uh, we'll be back next week for another podcast. Until then, you can get us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or independent.ie. Until then, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.